Thank you for joining us today. We're excited you came across this message. The sermon you are about to watch is from our verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of Mark. Up to this point in this series, we've seen the establishment of Jesus' identity as the Son of God and the beginning of his earthly ministry. We've studied his teaching as he has taught through parables, sermons, and daily life with his disciples. And we've seen his miraculous power over nature, sin, sickness, and spiritual darkness. Our entire study through the Gospel of Mark thus far is available in our feed. We'd love for you to join in. If you're joining us for the first time, I want to be the first to say welcome to Hope Church. Go ahead, open up the Hope Church LV app or visit us at hopechurchlv.com and click connect with us to fill out a short digital connection card. Once again, thanks for joining us today. Good morning, Hope Church family. So glad you've joined us, got your extra hour of sleep, and you are here ready for the Word of God. Go ahead and open it if you have your Bibles. Always want us to be in the Scriptures as we navigate our time together this morning. Mark chapter 9, if you're just joining us, we are uh, studying verse by verse through the Gospel of Mark. We're two years in, and we got about two years left of studying verse by verse through this book of the Bible. By the way, if I hadn't got a chance to meet you, my name's Scott. At the end of our service, I will be out in the lobby Every week, love meeting you, getting you connected, however you want to be into what God is doing here. Mark chapter 9, we'll be there in just a moment. As we begin, I want to ask you, have you ever had a mountaintop experience? What I mean by that is it's something that happens in your life that you feel like it doesn't get any better than this. This is the top of the top. Maybe for you professionally, it was when you got that dream job. That was the moment you were on the mountaintop, or maybe it was a promotion, something that you said, this is it. Maybe relationally, it was your wedding day or the day that you were proposed to. These are mountaintop experiences. Or maybe for you, it's something that happens spiritually. A lot of times when we talk about mountaintop experiences, we talk spiritual things. In fact, we just had this year a men's and women's retreat. Maybe you went on those. 300 men and women went up to a literal mountain and had a mountaintop experience. God just does some things in a concentrated time, a couple days, a few days, just alone and isolated so he can really get to work on our lives. That's a mountaintop experience. For, for many years here at Hope, I was a student pastor, and we would take students up to summer camp. That's a quintessential mountaintop experience. You have this five days where you're just inundated with all things good and, 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 and holy, and you have mountaintop experiences. But how many of you know the mountaintop experiences don't last? <laughs> At some point, figuratively or physically, you have to get off the mountain. I used to tell students all the time, listen, it is not going to be this way when you get back home. Why? Because there's not a schedule that says you're going to spend time with God for these 30 minutes before we eat breakfast. Or you're not going to have two sessions a day where we're in the word of God, worshiping him with this incredible band. That's not going to happen when you get down the mountain because life is full of mountains, sure, but it's also full of valleys. We live in a world that has inconsistent highs and inevitable lows. We have to be aware and okay with that. We cannot live on the mountaintops. One of my favorite realities in life is this, is this reality. And theologians have actually put some language to it. I want to put it on the screen. Maybe you've heard of this phrase, the already not yet. 
Specifically, when it comes to talking about the kingdom of God, if you're a follower of Jesus, we live in a world that is already not yet. What does that mean? There are aspects of the kingdom of God that we have already experienced. Praise God, if you're a follower of Jesus, because of the work of Christ on your behalf, we have experienced some incredible things in a relationship with Jesus. We have experienced salvation. We have experienced eternal life. We have experienced his grace and his glory in so many ways. There are aspects of being a follower of Jesus where we have already enjoyed and experienced aspects of the kingdom of God. But all of those things are not yet fully realized. There are elements of our lives like everything is not a mountaintop. There are valleys. The not yet is very real, not only in our lives personally, but all over the globe. You see, I know that the kingdom is not yet fully realized because you and I still struggle with sin. I know that the kingdom is not yet fully realized because there's disease and sickness that still strikes our bodies and, and we get those reports from the doctors that we did not expect. I know that the kingdom is not yet fully realized because war and famine and disasters still all over our world, even this week, as we continue to see these heartbreaking scenes of Gaza and Israel and all the things that are going on there, and we continue to pray for what is happening over there. It's the, the picture of the, the not yet of the kingdom. So why do you bring that up as we begin? I bring that up because in our text today, we are going to see some disciples literally coming off of a mountaintop experience. If you were here last week, you know what happened, but go back and watch it if you weren't. Pastor Ricky preached, and it was this incredible mountaintop experience where three disciples saw Jesus in all his glory on the Mount of Transfiguration. You talk about the already of the kingdom. They saw him like nobody had ever seen him before on planet Earth. And yet we're going to see today, they come down the mountain figuratively and literally into the tragic realities of the not yet of the kingdom. So Mark chapter nine, we're gonna navigate through 16 verses of scripture today. We'll read a little bit and then talk a little bit, read a little bit and talk a little bit. We're gonna start in verse 14 of Mark chapter nine. It'll be on the screen, but hopefully you have it open there on your lap. Here's the word of the Lord. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. So let's jump in. Let's set the scene. What's happening here is Peter, James, and John, those three disciples were up on the mountain of transfiguration with Jesus. They're coming down the mountain now and find the other nine disciples. And they are in a fit. Something big is going on. There are other nine disciples. A crowd is forming and there's some religious leaders that they start to argue with. And that's where we're going to learn, I believe, five things that happen with the characters in this story that we can learn from. Five things that happen. And I've, just, I've been so excited to preach this message this week because I believe if you let it, Hope Church, what we're going to study today has so much application to our lives. We always say this. We always want this to happen. But specifically this week, the Word of God can bear some serious weight and bear some serious fruit in our lives today from this passage of Scripture if we'll allow the spirit of God to do this. So five things that happen with the characters in this story that we can learn from. Here's the first one. The disciples are stuck. Look at verse 16. The disciples are stuck. He asked them, that's Jesus, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you for he has a spirit that makes him mute. 
And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. Here it is. So I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able. See, the disciples are stuck. And again, I always want to remind us, this is not a fairy tale. This actually happened in real life. I want you to try to put yourself in this scene. There's this incredibly young, probably elementary school age boy who's possessed by a demon, his, his desperate father, a crowd gathers around. There's these religious people that hate Jesus and hate his ways and his followers. And, and they're looking with joy at, at the failure, the epic failure in front of all of these people that Jesus's disciples aren't able to do something about this scene. And this is what we want to do as we unpack this. First, we want to see something that some of you are kind of wondering. Are we going to talk about this? Yes, we are. That this boy is possessed by a demon. I want you to know, if you're new to Bible study, that the Bible makes no qualms about the reality of spiritual beings called demons. These are not ideas of evil or, or philosophies of evil. These are actual spiritual beings that have a way of interacting in real time with the physical world. We see that all over the scriptures. And right now there is a demon terrorizing this little boy. And it's important to note here, this is the most graphic description of demon possession that we have in all of the scriptures. If you follow Jesus around in the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you're gonna see Jesus interacting with demonized people over and over and over again. But this one right here is by far the most intense. I mean, look at those phrases. It seizes him. It throws him down. He's foaming at the mouth, grinding his teeth. Later on in verse 22, we're gonna learn that he, this demon tries to kill this boy by throwing him in water, throwing him in fire, trying to, as the text says, destroy him. It's important to understand every word of God is inspired by the spirit of God that we would learn from. So why the graphic description of this evil? I believe this graphic, gut-wrenching description of this demonic activity in this boy's life is meant to teach us something, Hope Church. And here it is, the evil of evil. Evil in this picture and in our lives is always meant to produce harm. Even when it doesn't look like it, evil's game plan is to destroy our lives. Now listen very closely if you're a follower of Jesus. Don't be fretting that you can be possessed by a demon because you are already, already possessed by a spirit and it is the Holy Spirit of God. So you cannot be possessed by a demon. And that's good news if you're a follower of Jesus. But that doesn't mean our evil enemy still doesn't wanna destroy your life. Our evil enemy has a game plan for every single one of us that we need to be very aware of. This scene is a real life example of a spiritual plan that the enemy has for every single one of us. Let me show it to you in the Bible. John 10, 10, a verse some of you are familiar with. Jesus is talking about this evil enemy. He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. See, it's that same graphic language. First Peter chapter five, verse eight, talking to Christians. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Don't miss this picture that we just read. This is a picture of what the enemy is wanting to do to every single one of us, the evil of evil. The enemy may not try to demonize your life, Hope Church, but he is always trying to destroy your life. 
The end game of the enemy is exactly what we just read about. Just total destruction. Listen, even when it doesn't look like it. What do I mean? Greed might not look that bad on the surface, but its end game is to destroy your life. Lust might not look all that bad on the surface, but the end game of lust is the same we saw here. The end game is destruction, steal, kill, destroy, arrogance, an opportunity for gossip or deception. Doesn't always look evil, but its end game is it will destroy you. This graphic and tragic picture of this boy and the evil inside him is a reminder to us, evil is never good. So this begs the question as we let the word of God bear weight on our lives. What is it right now, Hope Church? What are the things in your life right now, in my life, that we are tempted to look at the evil that is in our lives as something, anything other than what it really is meant to do, which is destroy us? What are you tempted to look at that is something evil and you're tempted to see it as anything less than something that will destroy you? It's that, it's that pet sin that right now doesn't look as graphic as this picture that we just read about, but its end game is the same. The evil of evil. May we always read stories like this and interact not as something that happened way back then, but is happening right now because there's a real roaring lion seeking someone to devour get back to the story. Jesus, number two, is fed up. Jesus is fed up. Look at verse 19. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. Now, as you see, this Jesus being fed up, a very important question is, well, who is Jesus talking to here? And there's a lot of different views in the commentaries and the study that I did this week. He might be referring to the contentious scribes. He might be referring to the desperate father. He might be referring to the crowds. He might be referring to the unsuccessful disciples. We don't really know for sure, but I want to tell you what I think. I think he's actually talking to the disciples. Let me show you why I think that. Starts in Mark chapter 6. We studied this a few months ago, but this is Jesus. He called the 12 and begin to send them out two by two. Here's where I want us to focus. And gave them authority over the unclean spirits. So just a few chapters ago, Jesus gave them authority. He sent them out as his ambassadors. He said, be dependent on God and go do what I've called you to do. And we see in those next few verses and chapters, they're actually doing then what now they're failing to do. To the point where I believe Jesus is looking at them and saying, you're not getting it. He says, how long am I to be with you? He's basically saying, hey guys, I'm not gonna be here forever. Say, so what is Jesus getting at? This seems kind of harsh. I believe Jesus is getting at something very specific and we can learn a lot from this. He's saying, you guys are already operating out of your own strength and not depending on God you guys have started to kind of feel yourselves and you've been doing this for a while now and you're starting to operate out of your own strength. See, in Mark chapter six, they were sent out as ambassadors and I believe they knew exactly where they needed to get their power from. They knew they could not do that. The task they were given seemed way too big and constantly Jesus is reminding his disciples of their need for dependence on God. They can never do, we can never do what Jesus and, and, and God the Father intends us to do 
without dependence on his spirit, without dependence on God. They have to say, stay dependent. And I believe when you read the text in Mark 6, they were dependent because they realized we can't do what we're supposed to do. We need God. But as time goes on, them and us, we start to trust ourselves a little too much. We've been doing this for a while and we start to rely on our own strength. We start to get a little spiritually self-sufficient. Try to illustrate it this way. I don't know if you remember the first time you drove a car when you got your driver's permit. I don't know how long ago that was for you, but I would, I would submit to you, you were very dependent on some things when you first started driving. For me, it was 22 years ago when I got my driver's permit on the DMV on Stephanie. And I remember I was extremely dependent on my mom and stepdad who were sitting right next to me in the car. Does anybody remember how you drove when you first got your permit? First of all, you drove 10 and two. <laughs> Some of you, don't, you haven't driven that since you were 15, but 10 and two is how you drive. Why? Because you gotta have both hands on the wheel. You're driving like five miles an hour under the speed limit, right? My mom's like, hey, Scott, you gotta at least keep up with the cars. You gotta at least go a little faster. You're checking all three of your mirrors like five times, like too much. You're like going like this, right? I got my blinker on. I'm asking my mom, hey, can I get over? She's like, hey, look and see if you can get over. You can't be dependent on me forever. Why? Because she's always not gonna be here. This is what happens when we get our driver's permit. Now, rest assured, I still drive very safely, okay? <laughs> but I know some of you, because I see you out there on the 215. Some of you guys know what I'm talking about. You're like driving with one knee because you're like putting on your mascara and eating a double-double from in and out. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you are texting and driving. Don't do that. Some of you are like parenting while you're driving 75 miles an hour down the freeway. You know what I mean? The, the rear view mirror is not pointed where it's supposed to be. It's pointed at the four kids in your minivan. And you're like back there trying to discipline while you're driving 80 miles an hour on the freeway. That's how we drive. Not me, you, of course. <laughs> what is this? This is funny, but we have gotten used to. We've, we've developed some self-confidence in what we used to need help with. That's good in driving. I, I'm glad I don't have to still have my mom every time I drive. It's good in driving, but the problem is it seeps into our spiritual lives as well. You see, you and I start to gain some, some self-confidence. At first, we are keenly aware of our need for God's grace. We are keenly aware of the God, God's grace that saved us. But then what happens is, is we start to do this thing for a while and we start to get some self-confidence. We start to, to believe in ourselves and, and, and we gotta understand that this self-confidence if it hasn't already, it will fail us at some point. It might take a spiritual crisis like what the disciples were having here, but we have to see, we have to stay dependent on God. Church, may we never develop a spiritual self-confidence. That in and of itself is an oxymoron. A spiritual self-confidence. We are always needy and we have to constantly remind ourselves of our Neediness, you and I should never forget that we are just as needy today for God's empowering grace as we were the first day we got saved. We are constantly in need of his grace. We have to constantly remind ourselves of our utter inability apart from his empowering grace to do the things he has called us to do. And I believe the disciples forgot that. In fact, as we continue to apply this, I wanna show us a sobering reality. Apart from the spirit of God, there is nothing good in me. 
Now, I know some of you are offended by that, but I'm okay for that, for the glory of God, okay? Because that's true. <laughs> Apart from the Spirit of God, there is nothing good in me. We have to remind ourselves of this constantly. I'm looking around. Some people are looking at me a little confused. Let me put some Bible on that to show you this is true. Romans chapter 7, verse 18. This is Paul the Apostle. I don't know of many guys who are more awesome in the world other than Jesus than Paul the Apostle. Look what he said. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. But don't forget the last part. This is good news, Christian. That is in my flesh. This is why we gotta be really excited if you're a follower of Jesus. There is nothing good that dwells in Scott Worthington, but praise God, by his grace, he saw me, he saved me, he sought me out. And because of his death, burial, and resurrection on the cross, I gave him my life. And the Bible says, when I gave him my life, he gave me his spirit. And so there is nothing good that dwells in Scott Worthington, that is in my flesh. But there is something that dwells in Scott Worthington that I can have full confidence in, and it's the Spirit of God in me, put in me by God, so that I might live this thing out and be empowered by His grace. The same is true of you, follower of Jesus. There is nothing good in you. You should have no self-confidence, but there's something good in you if you're a follower of Jesus, and you can have a lot of spirit confidence. You can have a lot of confidence in Him and no confidence in yourself. And life in the already not yet is constantly remembering that. There's nothing I bring to the table, but praise God, I have a lot of power. In fact, it's the power that raised Jesus from the dead. And it's not given to me for my own boasting. It's given to me that I might live this thing out and be empowered by his grace. Amen? Amen. Jesus continues, says, bring him to me. I don't have time to unpack that, but what a beautiful sentence. That should be our heart for everything. Bring them to Jesus. Bring them to Jesus. The story goes on, they bring the boy to Jesus and, and here we meet a real and raw father. I love it. Brings us to our next point. The dad is honest. Some of my favorite verses in the scriptures are what we're gonna read and study in the next few minutes. The demon knows that the king of glory is on the scene, throws one more heartbreaking fit in verse 20 and we see Jesus asks this dad, look at verse 21. This is Jesus asking, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. So I studied that this week. I just couldn't get away from it. Yes, as a pastor with a pastor's heart, but also as a dad with a, with a dad's heart. I just wanna challenge you. If, you have, if you're a parent in here that has kids in your home still, just please know, I wanna highlight this because the enemy we talked about earlier that hates you, he also hates your kids, Hope Church. We need to be very aware. Listen, there's no magic age where kids all of a sudden become susceptible to the enemy. There is a place where every human being is susceptible to the enemy, and it's the place that we live. It's the planet Earth. Your kids have a bullseye on their back, and the sooner, the sooner parents understand and take that seriously, the sooner we can just on our knees, heart steadfast towards the Lord, ask him to protect our children. We need to be passionate. Let's act, parents. Let's act like something is at stake because it is. The enemy is attacking our kids. He, he hates your children. He hates my children. So we as parents, we may not be passive in this situation. Let's go on the offense and pop the devil in the mouth with the truth of God that he will not take over our kids. He will not take over our homes. It's a big deal. So grateful for, for all the environments we have here for for the next generation, Hope Kids Preschool, Hope Kids Elementary, the, the weekday prep school, Hope Students, 
Hope Young Adults, those are all amazing ministries. We're gonna share the gospel and, and love on your kids, but you gotta always remember the primary disciple makers of your kids' parents are not the people that work at Hope Church. They're you, they're me. So may we always highlight and point our kids to Jesus. May we always, like this dad, bring them to the only one that has the power to save them. This dad had the, no power to save his kid from the situation. You gotta remember, as followers of Jesus, you may love Jesus a whole lot, but you don't have any power to save your kids. You have no power to save them, but what can you do? You can bring them to the one that can. You can bring them to environments like what we have here, but also create those environments in your home to constantly point your kids to the only one that can save them. That is Jesus. That's what this dad does. And I love how real he is. Look at verse 22. This is the dad speaking. He says, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can all things are possible for the one who believes. Again, especially if you're a parent, I want you to feel this moment. It's this demonic activity happening in your baby boy's life. There's a crowd for him. I'm sure this dad is crying. He's probably a little embarrassed because of all the people that are leaning in and watching all this happens. And I just think maybe with tears streaming down his face, this dad looks at Jesus and says, if you can do anything, have compassion on us, help us. And I love Jesus's response. Listen, you gotta be careful to not read emotion into the word of God. But I can imagine Jesus may have asked, may have responded this way, like, if you can. Your version might say, if I can. This is kind of ironic in the moment, because just in case you're on the fence about this, Hope Church, Jesus can. <laughs> There is nothing Jesus cannot do. Jesus can do everything. Just a reminder to who we're talking about. This is God in the flesh, the creator of the cosmos, who the word of God says right now on the ground in your life and all over the universe is upholding everything that is with the word of his power. If you can, this is the God we've already seen turn water into wine, calm the storm, walk on water, miraculously feed thousands upon thousands of people. He's already healed people miraculously with his words and with his touch and always with compassion. Jesus says, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Listen, there's nothing Jesus can't do. The question is, do we believe he can do it? That's what this verse says right here. That's, that's why I, I wanna highlight this, all things are possible for one who believes. Now, this is very, very important because that highlighted section of this verse has been hijacked for centuries by word of faith preachers that basically say this, that verse right there is a blank check from God. Whatever you want, just have enough faith and it will be yours. People have used this for years to make a lot of money to say, if you have enough faith, if you just believe enough for it, you can have whatever you want. Listen, this verse is not saying if you have faith, anything is possible because that would be faith in faith and not faith in Jesus. Jesus is talking about what is right there in front of them. Listen, church, the object of our faith is crucial. We have faith in Jesus, not faith in faith. We have faith in Jesus because he alone is able. Jesus is telling this dad, listen, I can do this, but you have to believe that I can do this. 
I'll say it to you this way in a sentence. God's work in our lives is never limited by his ability, but is often limited by our lack of faith in his ability. That's important because he has no lack of ability. So our God's work in our lives is never limited by his ability, but is it's often limited by our lack of faith in his ability. And that is hard to wrestle with, church. I wrestled with this this week. I want you to wrestle with that because I thought, my God, are there things that I'm missing out on? Not because he's not able and willing, but because I'm not believing him for it. Is there things he wants to do in my life, in my family, in our church that I'm not being able to experience, not because he isn't able, but because I'm not believing that he can and wants to. Think about whatever it is you're facing now. I was sitting over there during worship, looking around at some people that I know in this church right now in this service are going through it. Maybe it's a reminder from the word of God today to just continue to trust that he is able, that he is enough. Help us believe that I want the all things that he alone makes possible. And I do that by, by placing my faith firmly, not in my own abilities and my own faith, but in the one who is able to do what he wants to do. And then one of my favorite lines in all of the Bible. It's a big book with a lot of really great lines, all inspired by the spirit of God. But this next line is so real. Some of you know it, Mark chapter nine, verse 24. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. If you're an English teacher, you don't think that sentence makes any sense. <laughs> but listen, that's, that sentence makes a lot of sense in the already not yet kingdom we live in. I believe, help my unbelief. Man, what? A sentence. What honesty. I believe this is a prayer you and I need to begin praying if you haven't already in the midst of this already not yet kingdom. I encourage you to, to make a list this week like I did. Make a list of some things you're going, I believe, Lord, but help my unbelief. Maybe I'll, I'll, help, you, I'll help you start that list. Maybe today your, your body's riddled with cancer. I believe, Lord, you can heal this cancer right now, but help my unbelief because the doctor said or the scan said or the, the, the diagnosis doesn't look good. I believe, but help my unbelief. Maybe you're here today and your marriage is on the brink of divorce. I believe you can heal my marriage, Lord, but help my unbelief because it's not looking too good right now. God, I believe for my prodigal child who has been out wilding out for years and years and years. I pray with the lady Thursday, tears streaming down her face. That's my story. My son is out doing all these things. I believe, Lord but help my unbelief. I believe, Lord, for you to reconcile that relationship in my life that's been such a burden on me. I believe you can do it. Help my unbelief. I believe, God, you can intervene in my mental health or my addiction. I know you're able. You're the God who holds the whole cosmos together by the word of your power. But right now, help my unbelief. And as we pray that prayer in the already not yet, never, ever forget Hope Church God's work in our lives is never limited by his ability, but is often limited by our lack of faith in his ability. I believe, help my unbelief.
Number four, the demon is stopped. Look at it in verse 25. Skip down to verse 25. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. Notice as you read that verse, church, there is no conversation. There is no asking. There is no negotiation. He commands it and it happens. The only point I wanna make here before we move on is the enemy has deceived even some people in the church to believe that he's some sort of equal strength foe to God Almighty. He is not, Hope Church. When he commands it, it happens. The universe bows at the voice of our Lord. Jesus commands all creation and it bows. This is power, this is authority, but don't miss this. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is grace because that incredibly powerful God is not your enemy today, Hope Church. If you've been sought out by the love of God and he died on the cross for your sin and you have given your heart and life to him, that God is not your enemy. In fact, that God fought for you. And that power is on your side. In fact, the Bible says because of the spirit of God, that power is inside of you. The demon is gone because Jesus said, get out. (laughs) The people in verse 26, they actually thought the boy was dead. If you can read it later, we're not gonna study it, but the chaos was so all over the place, but Jesus said, you're done. And it was so done that people thought this boy is now dead because he's in complete silence and stillness. But Jesus knew he wasn't dead. In verse 27, he picks the boy up. He raises him up by his hand. And you can imagine the disciples are a little shook by all this. And they take him aside later. And that leads us to our last point that the disciples are taught. The disciples are taught. Text says they took him aside privately and asked, why couldn't we do that? Jesus reminds them of their dependence on God. Last verse we'll study today, Mark 9, 29. And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. You may have a version that says anything but prayer and fasting. Jesus says this kind, that already shows the depth of the spiritual world that we can't see. There's kinds, but this kind can only be driven out by prayer. So again, what what are we seeing here? Is is prayer some sort of magic key? If your version says prayer and fasting, are these like some magic key to God's power? No, I don't think it's like that. I think it's just like the faith. It isn't the act itself, but it's the object of the act. See, in prayer, we draw near to God and his heart, and there is power in his presence. That's why we are on repeat pretty much every single week you come gather for worship here at Hope Church. We're gonna tell you and remind you of the necessity of you and I spending time in God's word. We call it God time. Time spent daily alone in fellowship with God. Why? Because there's power in opening your Bible? No, but there's power in the one who wrote the Bible. There's power in the one you get to interact with in the Bible. So we say get where the power is. Get where the presence is. Your prayer and your fasting and your faith, they don't have anything in and of themselves unless they're fueled by the intimacy you have with Jesus. I hope you know that every time we we encourage you towards spiritual disciplines or, or doing things to foster more intimacy with Jesus in your life, you don't get any credit for that in heaven. There's not some grading system of how many people spent time with God. No, you get Jesus. You get time with him. And in that, you start living out the way he would have you 
live. I'll say it to you this way as we close. Prayer is a declaration of dependence that says, God, I can't, you can't. Prayer is a declaration of dependence that says, God, I can't, you can. That's why 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 says, pray without ceasing. What does that mean? Walk around, eyes closed, bumping into stuff all the time? No, that's not what that means. That means in every single day of your life, moment by moment, you are constantly saying, God, I can't, you can. God, I can't, you can. So here's the question as we let this bear weight on our lives. Looking at your week, how often are you walking into every environment you walk in thinking, God, I can't, you can't help me? Do you pray before you do things? Do you pray, Hope Church, before you, you go to work? I don't just mean before you go to work and do that really big project that you've been working on for months. I mean like on an everyday Tuesday. Before you go into the cubicle, God, I can't, you can. Help me, help me see what I don't see. Do you pray before you have that hard conversation, understanding I can't, he can. Do you pray before you head out in your day? Do you pray before you scroll through your phone and expect to, to fight the temptation that's thrown us in a million different directions? Do you pray? What is it? It's me saying, God, I can't, you can. And I'm declaring my dependence on you. I hope you've seen this. I was wrecked by this passage this week. I hope you know, we let the word of God read us as pastors and preachers before we just come up here and, and, and talk about what we've learned. <laughs> this wrecked me this week, church. Because it's a, such an applicable passage for how we live in the already not yet. Just do me a favor and bow your heads for just a moment. As I thought about how I want us to lead into a response before we stand and sing, we see several pictures of, of unbelief in this passage. People's unbelief lies in a few different places. And I wanna ask you as we respond, if you'd be so bold to just ask the Lord, ask the spirit of God, where does your unbelief lie? Maybe your unbelief looks a lot like the disciples' unbelief where they began to operate in a self-sufficient spirituality. They began to, to walk away from dependence on God and started to think that they had what it took to do what they did not, could not do without the Spirit. Maybe today that would be your confession. Just before the Lord, not out loud. God, here's some ways I've been walking in my own self-sufficiency. I don't wanna be like the disciples. I wanna stay dependent. I wanna be needy of your empowering grace. I never want to think I have some sort of self-confidence. I want spirit confidence. Maybe that's where you would find yourself today, unbelieving. Maybe you'd be like this father and your unbelief lies in your circumstances. You're looking at the list of things in your life that seem impossible and you need to do what this dad said. I believe, Lord, but help my unbelief. So I don't know what this looks like for you. Maybe you just wanna stay there as we stand to sing this incredible song about Jesus paying it all. The reason we even have access to this incredible God is because what we're about to sing right now, it's the gospel and song. Maybe you just sit there in your chair, or come down here to this altar. Remember, there's nothing special about these stairs, but I believe with my whole heart, there is something special about a humble posture before God. Hands open, God, I believe, but help my unbelief. But I also think there may be people here today that are a lot like this boy. 
helpless and hopeless to do anything to get out of your situation. If you today don't know Jesus, just like this boy could do nothing to save himself, you and I, apart from Christ, we can do nothing to save ourselves, which is why we stand and sing with passion what we're about to sing. Jesus paid it all. He did everything necessary to save you from the sin that you're carrying right now because you're sick of carrying it. Maybe you just lay it down today. You enter into a friendship relationship with God. Every week we love talking to people up here, pastors, prayer volunteers. If you need to talk to somebody about what it looks like to follow Jesus, we'd love to have a conversation with you. We'd love to show you that he is the way, the truth, and the life. He stands ready to save you right now because he's already done all the work. However you need to respond in this moment, I pray you do it. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for your conviction. Thank you for the challenge. We need you, Lord. We love you. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and let's worship and respond as God leads.